Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Good morning. We are in week three of a series called Sex by Design, looking at God's amazing design for male, female, marriage, sexual intimacy. And last week we covered how we created the male, and this week we're going to dive into how we created them female. Now, by show of hands, who in this room would say that they are a Mac user? Any Mac users here? Okay. Who in the room? is a PC user. Man, that is shocking to me. That is amazing. First hour was the same way. It was honestly breathtaking. The number of PC users is way higher than I would have thought. These are both, as you know, computers, and yet they have some real differences in terms of what makes them up. They've got different hardware. They've got different software. They excel at different things. In other words, MacBooks are better at certain things, or a Mac is better and is preferable depending on what you're working on, and there's things that a PC is better for, which is why in different work environments, it's largely the go-to thing that is used. Now, what does it have to do with the message we're looking at today? Well, in the same way that these computers have similarities, but they have some real distinctions that they have different hardware and different software The biblical perspective that we get and we see in the world around us is that men and women are similar to the computers and that they also are similar in some ways but have real distinctions. They have different hardware or physiology and they also have different software and different wiring. And just like the computers were created and have those differences on purpose, so men and women have those differences on purpose. So we're gonna dive in and explore God's design for women. Now, let me give a disclaimer that probably is clear, but I'm a man. And I'm not gonna sit here and tell you my opinion on womanhood. I have been married to a woman for over 10 years and I still don't understand women. But I am going to open up God's word and look at his amazing design. Because we have a world around us that is continually conflating and confusing and trying to dismiss the distinctions that men and women have or trying to masculinize women, make them more like men, or objectifies women. And God's design and his distinctions are very purposeful and incredibly beautiful. And so we're gonna trace back through and look at four qualities that are distinctly by the designer in Genesis and Genesis one and two, how sin has impacted those and how really Christ gives us an another example of what those characteristics and qualities look like. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter three to start as we're going to dive into womanhood because last week we covered one and two in God's original design and then we stopped right as sin was introduced and Adam was disobedient. He didn't leave Eve. He was passive and they ate the forbidden fruit. Sin entered our world and everything fractured. And so we're going to pick up where that fracture takes place in Genesis chapter three starting in verse seven. If you have a Bible, you can flip there. If not, it'll be up on the screen. But we're gonna explore God's amazing design and how incredible when women walk in that design and walk as godly women, that 
is a gift to our world. It's a gift to our church. It's an incredible gift to our world as well. So this Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit and this is what happens. Then the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you, heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Shame enters into the world. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? And the man who should have said, I did and I take responsibility, blame shifts and says, the woman who you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. In other words, man, the woman you gave me, I mean, this is really between you and her. This is your problem. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then God gives the curse and says to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. And in pain you shall bring forth children and your desire shall be for your husband or be against, it would be another translation, your war against his leadership. And he shall rule over you. And then he gives the curse towards Adam, but sin enters into a world, fractures relationships, fractures femininity, fractures masculinity, fractures marriage, and brokenness enters. I wanna go back and look at the design and we can talk through how that brokenness now it impacts that design, but looking at the four characteristics that we see beautifully created in womanhood and get a vision for God's hope for what women, when they embrace that and walk and follow Jesus through that, how there's such a gift to our world. So this comes from Genesis chapter one. Let's go back to the design in verse 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. That image was male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, when we hear male and female, especially in 2023, those terms are somewhat neutered. The original word in Hebrew was ekbah for female and archer for male. They translate into masculine or feminine. That God created in the image of God is seen in men and women or in masculinity and in femininity. The first thing that we see from the text and from God's created design is that women were created as equal co-reflectors of the image of God in our world. In other words, as we said a couple weeks ago, the image of God is not just seen in men or it's not just seen in women, that both of them reflect a part of the image of God to our world around us. That women were created as reflections and reflectors of the image of God inside of our world. What does that tell us? It tells us that they are incredibly, inherently valuable. That they are image bearers of the divine God Almighty inside of our world. Just like men, but we see that they're distinct, masculine, feminine, 
and also of incredible value because they are made like men in the image of God. A few years ago, I was getting engaged to my wife, or 11 years ago, and I reached out to my now mother-in-law and asked for permission and her blessing, and she gave it, and in that conversation, she said, hey, I also want you to know I, I have some diamonds that you can have that were from her grandmother if you'd like them. And I've never been one to turn down diamonds, and so I said, yeah, I'll take, I'll take diamonds, for the record, I'll take any diamonds, and in this room, and I said, yes, and I took them and I got them to a, a jeweler and they made them into a wedding band, gave it to my wife on a wedding day and uh, everything was great. Afterwards, I took the wedding band to go get appraised at a jeweler so I could get it insured because I knew if we lost this thing, there's no other wedding band that we're getting. And so I took it and had them evaluate it and looked at it and the first jeweler I took it to came back and said, these are fake diamonds. These are moissanites. These are just man-made diamonds. And immediately I'm going, Grandma, what in the world? You gave us fake diamonds? And I'm just so conflicted. I'm like, how could that be? And oh my goodness. And you know, should I even tell my wife? Or I, which I did, of course. Anyways, I took it from there and someone recommended you should go see another jeweler. And I took it and got a second opinion. Now this jeweler was able to test the diamond to confirm was it a real diamond because moissanite or fake diamonds are much softer. They can't stand underneath pressure, but a real diamond because it was formed not by man, but it was formed in the earth over hundreds and hundreds of years in that amount of time, it's incredibly strong. And so pressure reflects or it doesn't crumble under pressure because of how it was made. And we know how it was made. If it was made by man or man-made moissanite, it's not valuable. If it was compressed and formed in the earth, it's of incredible value in our world because how it was made reflects how valuable it is. And women, because of how you were made, as a divine image bearer in our world reflects how incredibly valuable you are, no matter your story, no matter your status or stage of life or your singleness or you're married or whatever the case, you are a divine image bearer in our world. Now, a lot of us have probably heard this before and you're going, yeah, duh, I know. It doesn't even need to be said that I'm equal with men. The reason you think that and you think that way is because of Jesus. Now, here's why I say that. In other words, when the New Testament was new, the perspective that men and women are equal was also increasingly becoming new as Jesus introduced to the world, hey, women are worthy of being treated with respect and dignity because they are image bearers of God in this world. Women that he would go and give his life for. But that was not the case, and that was certainly not the norm in that day and age. It's also not the norm today in places where Judeo-Christian thinking has not impacted it. Why do I say that? Well, take us back to the first century. When Jesus walked on the planet, men and women were not seen as equal. Women were seen as inferior. They could not own property. In fact, Aristotle, who you may remember from a history class that you took in high school, wrote this about women. The female, as it were, is a mutilated male without a soul. Yeah, hot take. And we hear that and we gasp. Why? Because the message of Christianity was so pervasive and it began to spread that all people are created equal. In fact, sadly, the Jewish mindset had also been tainted by sin to not see women as equal. There was a common Jewish prayer in the day that said, God, Father, I thank you that I was not made a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. The Talmud, which is a commentary on the Torah, says in it explicitly, I would rather the Torah be burned than taught to a woman. There was a disproportionate population of men and women, 140 to, for every 140 men, 
there were 100 women because of selective abortion that took place through something called exposure. This was the world and Jesus showed up and everything began to change because he went around and said, all people, men and women are created with dignity because they're made in the image of God. He would teach women. He would introduce himself as the Messiah to a woman. The very first person he tells, hey, this is who I am, I'm the Messiah, is John chapter four, it is a woman. And that message began to spread like wildfire and people were introduced that everyone has value because they're made in the image of God, image of God. So much so that historians record that today, looking back, that two thirds of the early church was made up of women. They flocked there in droves because it was there uniquely. And you just think it's intuitive and natural. It's not intuitive and natural. It is the message of Jesus and how he changed our world. Every person, red, yellow, black, and white is precious in his sight because they are made in the image of God and women. You have incredible dignity and value because you are an image bearer in our world. Even today, if you travel outside of the US, you know the idea that men and women are equal, that is a Christian influence and line of thinking. You go to Saudi Arabia and it wasn't until two years ago that women in Saudi Arabia were allowed to drive cars. They still are not allowed to get a passport or to select their husband. In Iran, last year, FIFA, World Cup, you may remember, Iran was almost barred because they would not allow women, still don't allow women into stadiums to watch soccer games because women are inferior to men. China has 50 million missing girls that have taken place because of the One Child Policy Act and people selecting a male over a female. The way and the mindset that men and women are equal, which is true, but that is a line of thinking that is not natural. It comes from Jesus and the church. And today, the message of the church is that they are distinct. Men and women are distinct. They are beautiful and you are of incredible value, no matter your story. In a world that similarly, America, may not misvalue like Saudi Arabia, but wrongly values the wrong things as it relates to women. Communicates messages like, hey, your value's in your body. Your value's in your curves or the way that you look and your sexuality. I mean, the Barbie movie that came out this week, I went and looked at some of the lyrics from Nicki Minaj's song, and I couldn't read them on this stage because of how inappropriate they are, reflecting and telling women, here's where you have value in your sex, sexuality, and using your body, and that is just as much a dehumanizing form of not valuing women. You were made in God's image, and your value has nothing to do with the way that you look, has nothing to do with the job that you have, has nothing to do with the relational status that you have. You're an image bearer of God. And so you reflect that in our world, not by being a man, but by being a woman. Second thing we see about biblical femininity comes from chapter two in a term that God says about the first woman created, it says this, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Verse 20, then the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. Second quality and characteristic that's mentioned about the original created woman was that she would be a helper. Now, we hear that and think that's demeaning or you saying I'm a sidekick or I'm an assistant. The word helper is the Hebrew word ezer. It quite literally was a military term that meant to provide strong help. In fact, of the times it's mentioned in scripture, 16 of them are mentioned in reference to God. They refer to God as a strong helper. There's two times it refers to a woman as a helper, those verses we just read. 
But the second thing that we see in scripture is women were created to provide help, which if anything is not insulting to men, I mean, and to women, it's insulting to men because it, it implies, yeah, we need help. And the truth is we need help. And women, godly women, can play that role in marriage of being a help to, the question would be, well, help to what? Well, in chapter one, we were given the great commission, the first great commission that God said, to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, to bring order to it. That's a command given to man and woman. In fact, it's a command that cannot be fulfilled without man and woman, that men and women would partner together to fulfill God's mandate, that today men and women would come together and not fight against one another. And the reason why this, this makes people uncomfortable of like, women, you are an amazing gift of a helper in people's life. One of the greatest gifts in my life in trying to follow Jesus and be the man that I want to be is my wife and her help and her love and identifying blind spots and coming alongside, praying for, helping us walk in community. You have a tremendous gift, blessing, potential when you play that role of helping. And here's the reason I think this hits people of like, man, I don't want to help. You tell me I'm supposed to help somebody? I'm not here to help anybody. I don't need no man. It's because everyone has been fed a message, including men, that life is about you. Anybody who tells you to help somebody else do something else that's not what you want to do, man, they're wrong. You do you, boo. And they have sold and promoted a lie. And sadly, as we know as believers, the more that I focus on me and I live for me and I focus on am I getting what I want and I obsess about me, 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 the more depressed I become. But the more that you focus on serving and sacrificing together, partnering together to be a help husbands and wives and raise children and reach the lost in our city, the more I don't focus on my agenda and myself, the more life I find. It's as though Jesus was right. When you lose your life, you find it. And the reason why it's uncomfortable for people to say, hey, yeah, women, God made you to be a unique helper in the context of marriage, certainly, but also in the context of the church and partnering and serving with other godly men to fulfill his mission. The reason it's uncomfortable is because of the world and the environment we live in that says, no, no, focus on you, you, you. It also tells us that she was created for Adam. She was created for Adam, which is interesting because it's for a relationship, to play and be a part of a relationship, which as Nancy DeMoss, a Christian writer points out, being created for someone indicates that God created the female to be a highly relational creature. Forming deep relational bonds is at the core of what it means to be a woman, which is why communication is so wired naturally into women, uh, distinct or different than it is for men. For example, the average man speaks 7,000 words a day. The average woman speaks 20,000 words a day. The idea that, hey, this is just culturally influenced, because that's what a lot of people say around the gender and biological sex, all this is just because of cultural sex stereotyping, and that's why women are the way that they are, is simply not true. Study after study has shown that even the communicative differences, they exist early, early in life. A study of thousands of toddlers discovered tra tracking boys and girl toddlers found that on average, girls have a much larger vocabulary. For example, by 16 months old, women or girls, toddlers, have an average of 95 words, while boys have an average of 25 words. <laughs> now, if in your marriage, you're the man and you're more communicative or uh, you're the wife and you're not as communicative, 
Does that make any, you any less female or any less male? No, there's a broad range that all of us can fit into. If you're a man, that you can fit into, as I said last week, as it relates to being masculine, or that you can fit into as it relates to being a woman. But the remedy is not for you to be less of who God made you or less of a woman, but to embrace being more and more, to understand more and more of your value, the unique way God has made you is a tremendous gift to the body of Christ, to the world around us. And it doesn't need more masculine men, it needs more women being who God made them to be. So we see that the first woman was a strong helper to provide support, which by the way, if you're single, you can provide in this body and help and come alongside and use the unique gifts that God has given you to help us reach the world for the cause of Christ. Same goes if you're married, whatever your story is. The third thing we see from the text, which I think is one of the most interesting and fascinating, is how unique she is. Here's what I mean. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, it says this. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The third thing I want to just look at that we see in the text is how unique she is or how unique God's woman, that she's created to be distinct. Here's why I say that. When you hear the word woman and man, you can assume that there's an inherent relationship between those that they're related. That is not the case in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for woman is isha. And for man, it's ish. These words sound related, but they do not share the same Hebrew root. In other words, even in the names themselves, the word ish, which is for man, comes from a root of strength. The root word for isha comes from the root of delicate or fragile. That even the words named themselves is, hey, there is one image bearer that's gonna be strength and one that is gonna be delicate. Does that mean that women can't do CrossFit and don't have strength? And of course not. Women are some of the most emotionally tough or can be some of the toughest people that are on the planet. I've always said that if men had the responsibility of bearing children, we probably would have gone extinct a long, long time ago. But it doesn't mean that God didn't make them different. They're distinct. That has nothing to do with value. Because people can hear, oh, if something's delicate, that's not as valuable. That doesn't make any sense. This is an iPhone. If I take this iPhone and I throw it against the wall, there's a good chance it'll shatter. If I take a rock that's worthless, unless it's a diamond, and I throw it against the wall, there's a good chance it won't shatter. But something being more delicate doesn't have anything to do with its value. And God created women beautifully to be a reflection of his character. And as a part of that, even in how we made them, it's distinct. In other words, if you remember in chapter two, when we looked at man, you remember the story? It says he took man and he formed him from the dirt and he breathed life into him. Adam created original bunch of dirt. He's the mud man. God makes him, forms the mud man. How did he make the woman? Wasn't from mud. He takes him out of the completed man and he forms this woman. Now here's what's really interesting. The word for formed, Adam, is not the word that he uses for Eve. It's the Hebrew word of fashioned. It's the word, Hebrew word banah, that he formed Adam, formed the mud man. 
but he fashioned the woman. The most common ways it's used in the Old Testament is in building something of beauty, palaces, temples, aesthetic works of art, that even in the very way that God formed and created woman, it was distinct from Adam in a intentional, beautiful way that God has created women to be unique. Science today even backs up how different and unique and distinct women are in every cell in your body. If you're a female, there is a X chromosome and another X chromosome. If you're a male, every cell in your body has a Y chromosome and an X chromosome. You can change your clothes. You can change, surgically repair your, your body. That doesn't change the biological makeup. This impacts all of your physiology. What, what do I mean? Down to the very eyes that men and women have are distinct and different. On average, men have more rods than cones in their eye. Women have more cones than rods. Well, what does that mean? Cones are the thing that are drawn to imagery, colors, and beauty, which is why women flood their homes with pillows and decoratives and things that bring beauty. <laughs> rods are the things that detect speed and movement and are drawn to that, that even the very eyesight, your bone structure, your, your external organs and sexual organs, all of them are distinct. Even a personality wiring is distinctly different despite people trying to dismiss it. There's been studies on emotional empathy and how this isn't a sex stereotype norm that's been introduced and people have been pushed with. It's wired into the hardware of women. Several studies, behavioral studies done with infants and children. So in other words, this isn't something that they formed over years of society telling them to be more empathetic. That's what a woman is. No, they go back to infants and toddlers and the Journal of Childhood Psychology and Psychiatry found that several behavioral studies with infants and children who are very young provide objective evidence that females exert greater empathy than males. That over and over and over again, a woman's resting heart rate is different than a man's. A bone structure, the brain chemistry, all of these things, science already verifies what we know in scripture. God has said, man and woman were created distinct. And that beautiful design and those distinctions are a part of that beautiful design. That you were created uniquely. You were made in the image of God. You have tremendous value. And you don't need to be more like a man. You need to be you, who God made you. We see in Jesus uh, this idea again where there's distinctions in the Trinity. Jesus is different than the Father and different than the Spirit. None of them is less valuable. And you and women in our body and women in our world are distinct and have no less value. Finally, the fourth quality that we see is that Eve, the first woman, would be a life giver. We're told this in Genesis chapter three, verse 20. Then the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Here's what's interesting. They don't have any children yet. That happens in the next chapter. This is right after the fall. And Adam looks at Eve and calls her Eve, which literally means life giver. She is the mother of all living before there were any children around. As though women 
whether you have children or not, are inherently and innately possess a maternal characteristic that is a blessing to our world and blessing to the homes around and is distinct from men. I was uh, headed home or I got home a few days ago from work and my wife, I could tell that she was frustrated by something and I asked what, what was going on and she was upset because the babysitter had messed up the nap schedule with the baby. Now, of all the things that I would get frustrated in life about, that would be one I would have to say would not be on the list. Uh, I, I want to meet her in that moment and be like, oh my, unbelievable, how dare she? But I just, I would have to be pretending and manufactured to be really upset about, man, this is messing with my kids. She does it instinctually, like many or mothers in general do when they instinctively want to protect and care and nurture and develop their kids. And one of the ways women are a gift to our world is they are life givers, biologically speaking, and that they have the ability, unique ability to bring kids into our world Biologically speaking, what an amazing thing. It's a superpower that men don't have, that women have, that the ability to bring children into our world. And then what godly mothers in our world do is they begin to raise those and disciple those and know that, hey, the impact they're going to have is going to last for long, long after they're gone. And so they're intentional and they care and they develop their children. Psalm 127 says that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior these weapons of war that will be sent out into the air. And what godly women understand and mothers understand is that, hey, I am raising children. Arrows are a weapon of war. I am raising children that I am going to launch out into the world, that women in this body who understand, I am raising, I'm raising ballistic missiles that I'm gonna launch out for the good of our world around us and to war on behalf of Christ. And I'm gonna be intentional in everyday, ordinary moments, I'm gonna be, present with my children. I'm not going to see what I'm doing is any less valuable. Like quite honestly, our world is sold and is selling a lie that if you stay at home and you raise children and you intentionally pour into them, that that is not as amazing or incredible as the woman who's the CEO on Wall Street. And that is a lie. And if you're CEO on Wall Street, good for you. That's great. My point's not stop working. It is, you're not going to see a Hollywood movie celebrating the mom who intentionally in everyday ordinary moments is present with her kid, who's changing diapers, who's doing laundry, who's caring for the kids. If that is not worth celebrating, our culture is headed in a toxic direction. And to the mothers in this room who give up countless hours over and over and over and care for their children, you matter. And when you're doing it with the mindset that I'm raising up disciples in the next generation, you matter. Spiritual mothers, you can be a mother because you're maternal without kids. You can be a spiritual mother in serving and raising up and pouring into younger women in our body, younger women in our world, discipling kids on Sunday mornings and being intentional. And our world is better when you are a life giver. Again, we see the ultimate example of how this relates to Christ, seen in Jesus, who was distinct, who showed value to women, and is the ultimate life giver, eternal life giver. In fact, in this chapter, chapter three, we're introduced to the very first time Jesus's life would be predicted and it has to do with a woman. In other words, you can't get the savior of the world without a mother. Genesis chapter three, verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring. He shall bruise your head or crush your head, that's Jesus, to Satan. And you shall bruise his heel. It will be through a woman that the savior of the world would come forward. 
would be introduced. This is the first example of the gospel, which by the way, if you have never had a moment where you trust in Jesus, far more important than understanding biological sex and God's amazing design for women and for men is you understanding that you were made for a relationship with God, a relationship that you can only have by trusting in Jesus as your Lord and as your savior, as the payment on that cross when he died for your sin. And his resurrection is proof of that payment. And when you accept and trust in that, everything changes, your eternity changes, because you have now stepped into relationship with the ultimate life giver. And mothers, spiritual mothers or biological mothers in our world, you matter. You matter to God, you matter to our body, and our world will be darker without you and the impact and influence that you have. When I was doing the diamonds, think about how tragic it would have been had I listened to the first appraiser. Had I actually believed and not checked it again and just gone with his word and thought these are worthless and taken them home and threw them in the trash got rid of them and thought we need to replace and get some other ones. Thankfully, I listened to the right appraiser. Equally as tragic is when, as women, if you listen to the wrong appraiser or men, you contribute in listening to the wrong appraiser and believing the world around you that says your value comes from your body, your value comes from the way that you look, your value comes from the job that you have, your value comes from whether you're married or not, all of which is listening to the wrong appraiser. Men, pornography is listening to the wrong and feeding the wrong appraiser that a woman's body is what's valuable in her. Her sex is what's valuable in her. And maybe the most God-honoring, woman-honoring thing you can do is just confess and bring to the light, hey, I am contributing to the objectification which is disvaluing the image of God. And women, you are made in his image. You have extraordinary value. You don't listen to the wrong appraiser. Your value is fixed. It's so great, Christ himself would lay his own life for you, no matter your story, no matter what you've done, out of love for you. Don't listen to the wrong appraiser. If you're in the room, maybe the most God-honoring thing you can do is to bring two people in your community group and confess and say, I have been listening to the wrong appraisers, but I'm not gonna walk in that anymore. I'm a daughter of God Almighty, my value is fixed. I'm a reflector of the image of God. I'm a helper to men in this world. I am unique and different and beautifully so. And I'm a life giver, whether I have biological kids or not. It's an amazing design. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.